Fundamentals. Welcome back. Hopefully, everybody had a fantastic Labor Day weekend. It's Sergey and Vadim, and we're back with the mentors. This is a show where we tell stories of ordinary people that became extraordinary entrepreneurs despite having lack of experience, money, or connections. And some days you just listen to us blab on about the everyday goings and things. Everyday going, everyday goings, and and uh, well, and this is one of those days. So we're not one of those days interviewing anybody today. No we're guests. interviewing ourselves, essentially, just which is a us. treat, isn't it? Uh, just to set the scene, we're literally staring at a brick wall uh, in my room right now with nothing on that wall because I've been too slow to get any decorations for my room, and uh, Sergey always makes fun of me for that because him and his girlfriend have paintings they've made themselves on their on their walls, and I have a barren, decrepit-looking wall and no friends. But it's slightly less sad than that because it is a beautiful brick wall. It is beautiful, I guess. Yeah. And um, look at the bright feel side good of about things. yourself. You should yeah. feel good about yourself. Thank you. I do. I needed that today. I needed that. Uh, so <laughs> today's episode is about something that we find ourselves doing almost on a well, at least on a weekly basis, but probably on a daily basis uh, without even knowing it. Uh, And that is negotiating, negotiating uh, for things at work, whether it's more responsibilities, negotiating for something more uh, substantial, like a larger salary, uh, negotiating on who's going to take out the trash at home or who's going to walk the dog. Every single day we're negotiating and yet half of us are A, not thinking about it or B, don't even know, let's say, when we're being negotiated against. Exactly. And there's an unfortunate side effect to not knowing that you're being negotiated against or that somebody is negotiating with you. And that is that you find yourself never getting the things that you want. So we want to help you get in the habit of negotiating for the things that you want. That doesn't mean that you should every single basically every single day be looking for confrontations to get what you want. No, but... Um, people should know that when you have your best interest at heart, in the end of the day, a negotiation is all about finding or aligning on, um, on interests, understanding what each other's interests are and coming to a solution. And so if you're always giving it up by just essentially backing down or being passive, uh, you might end up being unhappy. And so we want to make sure that Maybe you're slightly less passive than you were before. If you're active about negotiating, you do it in a little bit more of a tactful way. Exactly. And, uh, you know, I mean, honestly, since my brother and I grew up as twins, always competitive, always wanting what the other person has, the sort of negotiating gene has been uh, extensively exploited, if you will, from a very young age. Literally, when we used to negotiate for who... The Green Ranger is the Green Power Ranger. It was obviously always me. Uh, I looked most like Tommy, and Sergey looked like Sergey looked like Kimberly. Oh wow, you remember um, the? Uh, that's what the Green Ranger sound was. Uh, I don't know if this like other kids did this, but when you're watching the Power Rangers, you kind of pretend one of you's whatever Ranger, Red Ranger was Tommy was popular. Yeah, yeah, we argued about that. We I did. think our parents probably thought we were super weird, but um, or you know who's Donatello from, from of the Ninja Turtles, or I mean, or who gets to sleep on the top bunk? That happened. Who gets it? Oh yeah. Yeah, we ended up always switching off with things like that. So, uh, note to self: if you have twins as kids, uh, you will—they're probably already fighting all the time about this type of stuff. But uh, hopefully, they come to a common ground and 
figure out what both uh, what they're both looking for and uh, are able to negotiate a win-win position. Well, so for us, it was, we got we were a little bit lucky in that I had a, a brother that was exactly the same age that was constantly vying for whatever it is that I had and vice versa. So, uh, but actually, you were vying for whatever it is I had. That's sure. That's fine. Okay, that's the definition mutual. of vice versa. Okay. Yep. Exactly. Exactly. Um, but and and so we sort of naturally became attuned. We knew that basically, if I if I wanted something, I knew that I wasn't just going to be able to get it through brute force alone. And actually, I think that's one of the first things that we want to talk about today is that um, just because you really want something, if you yell and scream and beg and force, you're actually probably going to be even less likely to get it because the other person's not going to be motivated. In fact, they're going to not want to help you at all. And we learned that with each other because I knew that if I yelled at Vadim, he definitely wouldn't want to help me. And so that's step one, I think. In day-to-day situations, listen for times where you get frustrated because you're not getting your way. And if you find yourself uh, trying to be forceful in that situation or yelling or whatever else and you're not getting your way, understand that it's because that person is immediately putting up a guard when you're acting that way. And I'm sure you found yourself doing the same thing when, when you're on the receiving end of that. So... It's not helping you, so try to remove that kind of behavior. Now, look, yelling can be an effective negotiating tool, I guess, uh, or at least it can seem like an effective negotiating tool because some people, let's say, who yell the loudest do tend to seem to get what they want, but you have to consider a lot of the other things. Like, for example, does the sort of long-term relationship matter in this scenario? Or are there multiple parts to this negotiation where maybe it seems like you win if you just get whatever you're looking for and yell loud enough right now, but in the long run, if you ruin the relationship or if there's bigger things at stake, you might not win. For example, uh, Steve Jobs was actually, at, at the same time, probably one of the most masterful negotiators to ever walk this earth, given all the complicated deals that he negotiated while at the helm of Apple. But at the same time, he was also one of those people that would kick and scream. If you read Walter Isaacson's biography of Steve Jobs, he used to cry a lot. He did in meetings uh, with employees to try to get them to stay, to try to get them to to do the work and whatever it is and, and see his way. He would cry a lot. And now he learned, I guess, through his 20s to kind of shed that tactic and became more masterful uh, and ultimately, obviously, building one of the one of the greatest companies on the planet. Uh, but it can be a tactic that you can use, but typically in the long run, it will not work. So we're going to talk to you guys about several stories of sort of times where we had to negotiate things and why we think things worked uh, and you know what you can hopefully take away from that. What I will start from is by saying that negotiation uh, can seem kind of scary when you're going into salary negotiation or you know you watch on TV hostage negotiation situations. It can seem scary because we've been sort of it's been built up in our heads to associate the word negotiation with a really tactful thought through process, but it's actually very very simple. It comes down to understanding the other side as much as possible and then coming to an agreement where hopefully uh, both parties are happy walking away from. So we're going to talk through a few everyday scenarios because negotiation is an everyday thing despite whether we know it or not. Uh, And so the first scenario is a, a salary negotiation because that happens almost every time you get a job. Uh, some people just accept whatever number is thrown out and they don't negotiate, but we want you to negotiate because you oftentimes you will get an increase if you just ask for it. So, Vadim, a couple of years ago, you had a situation where you found yourself negotiating for a salary 
uh, for actually a job that you, I think it was you were bump, going up in your salary bracket at that point a fair amount. So it probably would have been easy for you to say, no, you know what, this is good, it's enough for me. But you didn't tell us about what happened in that situation. And if you can tell us some of the numbers behind it too, I think people would love to understand uh, the amount you were able to negotiate. Sure. So first of all, when going into salary negotiation, understand that you the ask is the most important thing. Most people are afraid to even ask for a larger number. And so being willing to do it, being aware of the fact that it's possible to do, you know, no one's going to rescind a job offer just because you asked uh, for more money and you actually decided to negotiate. Understand that you, you should be doing this, okay? No matter who you are and what position you're going for. Uh, but obviously, as I said before, since negotiation uh, or a successful negotiation comes down to having as much information as possible, do come prepared, understand what the market rates are. And, you know, if you do have to throw out a number, you want to sound like you know what you're talking about. You want to sound like there's some credibility behind the statements that you're that you're making. So I went into this salary negotiation uh, or this conversation actually not knowing that uh, it, we're going to have a salary negotiation right on the spot because it was relatively early in the interview process. But they really needed someone at the company I was interviewing uh, at. And so... Uh, I was talking to the person, you know, we got to know each other. It was pretty clear I was going to be a good fit for the company. And uh, the next step is, you know, the person that I was talking to, the, the CEO of this company, asked, how much do you want? And that's it. Sort of kind of out of nowhere, uh, we were talking about my qualifications. And soon after that, he said, how much do you want? And so the negotiation had begun. Whether I liked it or not, we were negotiating. And so a lot of people wonder, you know, should I throw out the first number? Typically, a rule of thumb, if you want to hear one, is try to understand what the number is on the other side first. Why? Well, because if you have this information, it's pretty powerful. Uh, you now understand sort of somewhat what the ranges of where they might fall, and it gives you a basis point or sort of a, a, a baseline from where to start from and kind of what to counter offer with. And so clearly the person I was uh, now in a negotiation with had the same exact uh, mindset coming into the conversation is find out what this person wants, make sure to get the number out of them first. So we were kind of both going back and forth and there was a little bit of a stalemate where I said, well, can you please give me the range, right? I didn't first give him a number, I asked for the range. And he said, well, uh, I'm sure it's in the, in the range that you're thinking about, but why don't you tell me what you're thinking? And so I could tell kind of the conversation was going nowhere. And at this point, this is where awareness and understanding the market and knowing what the dynamics are came into play. Uh, and in this scenario, I think it actually helped me to throw out the number first. So I had been interviewing for other jobs. Uh, I was making less than six figures at this point, and I was in the six-figure range. It was going to be literally anywhere between $100,000 and $150,000 that I could land on. And I knew that that was my target. So it's lesson number one, understand where your target is because you'll know then where to walk away. If we weren't able to agree on anything above, on or above $100,000, there was no way I was gonna take this job. It was I, it was worth it for me to spend more time looking for another position because I would make so much more money that that time I didn't make money sort of would be, would be um, made up for. And so I had been interviewing for a while now and I knew the range that comparable jobs were offering. It was a little on the higher end because they were a little bit more senior than this particular opportunity or at least what I thought it was. And so I knew that the numbers were a little higher and I figured, okay, if I throw out a high number in the beginning, 
it'll make this person sort of inform this person that I'm looking on the higher end of the range of salaries that are being offered in the market. And that's exactly what I did. I went basically for the highest possible number uh, without sounding completely ridiculous. And I said, well, the jobs that I'm currently interviewing for are in the range of 140 to 150. uh, And I actually have a few late stage conversations at the 150 range. In other words, creating um, fear of missing out. Wow, he's okay. He's having late-stage conversations. He might be willing to walk away. That's his position. So why don't I throw out a number that is a little closer to what he's looking for? He wasn't able to meet me all the way up there. He literally went right in the middle, and uh, about 10000 of that was going to be bonus-related. And it was more than what I want, what I thought I would get. I thought I was going to land at around 100000 It was uh, between ten and twenty grand more than that with the bonuses. And I was completely happy. You know, I threw out one number. He said, why don't we go with this? And it actually ended up being higher than what I thought I would get. And the negotiation was over in about five minutes. Great. So some key takeaways there. But I think that one of the main takeaways is that Vadim created leverage for himself. The leverage was his willingness to walk away because he had other options. Now, I don't even know. Was that true or not that you had other options? I had other options in that I was actively interviewing, but I did not have any other offers on the table. And so don't lie. I mean, if you don't have other offers, don't pretend that you do, which I did not. I said I'm in late stage interviews with a few companies. So you can embellish a little bit. You can embellish a little bit, of course. And also keep in mind, I just had a whole interview with this person. I asked him in the interview, how long have you been looking for this person? He said, we've been trying to hire this person for four months. So I had, I knew that there was some um, interest in getting somebody on board much quicker because if they spent a few more months trying to hire somebody, that's going to be ten, twenty thousand dollars $20,000 in just recruiting fees that they would spend on trying to get this person where they can get me in the door today if we can g- agree on a number. Great. So having as much information as possible about the other party and having the willingness to walk away uh, because you have other options. And actually, the next scenario that I'm going to talk about is um, negotiating when you're purchasing a car or a motorcycle. Uh, And actually, it could be selling one as well because that's a negotiation on that side. But a lot of the same principles apply, actually. Um, And this is where having knowledge, having information can really come in handy. And I will say, uh, to preface this, story about how I negotiated some of this stuff. Uh, I know a fair amount about cars and motorcycles because it's fun for me. If you don't know anything, I would bring someone in your family or friends who might know something just to use them as a way to, to not let a salesperson talk circles around you about features, specs, whatever it is that you don't understand that they're going to try to use as leverage to tack on cost to the vehicle, right? They name all of these things that the vehicle has, and each of those things makes the vehicle more expensive and more attractive to you, and you don't even know if you need that or not. So you don't want to be in that situation. You want to have an information advantage, just like Vadim had in his salary negotiation. So talk to a person that can help you at least narrow in on a car or a type of car to buy and understand what the different options are and what you should care about. Um, but I think one important thing is that's a say, that applies from Vadim's example is having options. If so, that means that you've already done your research. You've narrowed in on a few types of cars that you want. You know exactly what you want because if you don't know what you want, that's when the salespeople can pressure you in telling you what you want or what you should want. But if you already have a few choices for the types of cars that you want, that conversation is off the table of them pushing something else on you. 
number one. Number two, if you know what you want, that means that you can go to different dealerships or different private party. That means individuals selling cars and already start the process of finding out how much you might be able to pay for that car, depending on the mileage that it has and the age that it is. Those are the two sort of main determinants of the value of a vehicle, the age. And we're talking about used vehicles here because that's where there's a lot of negotiating leverage, the age and the uh, the mileage. And so um, having that information, knowing exactly what you want and already having active discussions with a bunch of different dealers, people selling gives you that leverage to say, no, you know what? There's somebody else that I'm talking to that can offer it to me for this amount. Um, and I'll give you a, one more example. Uh, and this is a real example of when I bought a motorcycle. I found a bike that was a little bit older and it was $2,300. And though I did my education by researching that specific bike with that t- typical amount of mileage for the year that it was in three different states. So I knew exactly how much individuals were selling that bike for and I knew what the range was. And the range happened to be anywhere from 1800 to about 3000 actually. So it was pretty high. And I found a guy that had a pretty high mileage version of this motorcycle, but it was um, in really, really good condition. And so I had all, all this research already by the time I met him. And when I met him, I actually brought, I knew I didn't want to pay more than $1,800, which is that lower bound range that I found online. And he was trying to sell it for 2300 So I knew it wasn't crazy to ask for $500 less, but I didn't want to just ask for it. I wanted to have information and then I wanted to actually put him in the spot where we had to make a decision. So what I did was I went to the ATM or I went to the bank and I took out $1,800 in cash so that I could bring it with me and use that as a way to essentially force him to make a decision quickly, a time-bound decision, because I was going to be willing to walk away. And when I told him all the research that I've done, he knew that I, I basically wasn't making the number out of thin air. I also found out before I made the offer that he it had been up for several weeks, and he was just his wife wanted him to get rid of it, so he gave me that information. I didn't even know about it. And so when I offered him the $1,800 in cash, and I said, I have the money right now. I can just give it to you. You can give me the bike, and you don't have to continue selling it. He thought about it for 30 seconds, and he said yes. He said yes because he wanted to move the product, sell it, and get the cash in his bank and make his wife happy. So by having the information, by understanding the market and how much the, the item was valued at, I was able to have a very strong position and make a transaction happen right on the spot. And I think the most important takeaway from this transaction was as you were starting to understand more and more about sort of his selling position, you were able to make an educated offer. This person wanted to get rid of the bike. This person was cash tight. Those are two really important pieces of information that now allowed you to say, okay, here's my cash. I'm literally holding it in front of you for a fair offer, given the mileage, given the research that I've done, will you take it? And actually, Sergey ended up selling this bike, what was it, a year later or so? For yep. for more money, how much more did you sell it for than we bought it for? I sold it for twenty one hundred dollars a year later. So I bought it for five hundred bucks less than what it was listed at, and I sold it for three hundred dollars more than what I bought it at one year later. Where you would think the value would drop, but it didn't because it was an older bike. Exactly, and perhaps this, that gentleman sold it for a little bit less, but I'm sure he was happy ultimately because he got the money, and his wife was happy as well. And when whenever I sell a vehicle, I always look at all the average prices for the year and the mileage in three different states, and then I choose a range depending on how quickly I want to move that product because I know everyone else in the market is comparing. I use Craigslist to do this for used vehicles, but you can certainly use other platforms if you're selling something. So when you're having any kind of negotiation 
essentially it starts as a discussion trying to understand the other side's motivation and taking note of all the different points that you could potentially make when you actually throw out a number that you want to get close to all right the other story uh, quick story that i want to tell you about is about a time where i got out of a speeding ticket um did you did you flash <laughs> the officer sergey um, Officer Handsome, um, please, can I get out of this ticket? I'll do anything. No, I did not uh, do well, that. If that's what you said, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I now know why that did not work. I will not do anything to get out of the speeding ticket. I'm not that desperate. Um, but I will say um, it is possible to get out of speeding and or parking tickets, but it's very difficult and almost impossible to get out of them unless you have a good reason or a valid reason why you really think you don't deserve it. Um, in this situation, pleading and yelling again doesn't help. Now, some people have been known to get out of speeding tickets by uh, flirting with people, with officers. I personally crying, think crying, crying. Actually, if, you, if you can muster up a cry, yeah. I say do it. So yeah. I'll say flirting is a, is a horrible idea. Don't do it. Um, it's a gamble. Uh, crying, sometimes hitting on emotions, that could help uh, if you end up having interacting with a really nice person who just wants to make you feel better uh, but in my scenario it was actually uh looking, weeping looking at the, yes weeping but actually looking at the person's motivations and trying to think of what would they want to avoid essentially to uh to have a to give them a reason to essentially to scratch my uh, ticket off or to, to basically not give me a speeding ticket. And in this case, I actually was uh, driving and I had to pass this, this police officer van was on the side of the road and I was passing him when I noticed the lights started flashing and he pulled me over and he gave me a ticket of like $150. And I was pretty upset because um, a, a lot of people speed on that road. I wasn't even going that fast and he was right in the middle of the road. Uh, and I had to essentially over. I, I had to take him over, pass him in order to to get to where I needed to get to. And so that to me was the valid reason to fight that speeding ticket. Um, I told in the hearing. I actually went to the hearing and I told the um, the person that was presiding over the hearing that I there was another car coming. Uh, in the other direction, the opposite direction, and I had to make a split-second decision because there was this big van cop car on the right side of the road, and in order to pass it, I needed to accelerate, and that's when I got pulled over for speeding, but essentially, I was speeding because he was taking up so much of the road, and trying to avoid an accident, and I was trying to avoid an accident, and let me tell you, they threw out that ticket very, very quickly because they weren't going to try to sit there and prove whether he was actually in the middle of the road or he wasn't, knowing how narrow that road so I was armed with information. I knew how narrow that road was, and I knew that in order for him to be stopping and pulling people over, he would have to be parked dangerously, uh, taking up too much of the road, and they didn't even want to fight that. They actually saw the fault in that situation, and that was a valid reason for me to overtake that police officer's car, and they essentially got rid of the ticket. Um, so if you have a good enough reason, you should absolutely use that reason because you might get that ticket uh, essentially crossed off. So in some negotiations, when you're entering the conversation, you have very, very little leverage and getting pulled over by a cop for speeding is a very good uh, example of that. In that scenario, again, you need to kind of use whatever tools you have at your disposal. Try to read the situation. 
be nice. I mean, don't be a dick. That's just a rule of thumb. I don't understand why more people don't don't see this. You know, I constantly see people, let's say, fighting over parking spots or trying to get a vendor to do to do something or yelling at a store clerk. Yelling or being mad doesn't motivate anybody else to act in your favor. The first rule of thumb is be nice, be respectful, understand that it's another human that you're talking to across from you and that for the most part, they're just trying to go about life just like you. And in the case of being pulled over by an officer, he's trying to reach a quota or you are actually endangering the street that you're driving on. And so you go messed up. And uh, so think about it, right? I got pulled over by a cop. Well, he's just doing his job. He's probably dealt with a bunch of shitheads all day. Be nice. Own up to the fact that you made a mistake. And if you get a decent person, uh, sort of that is what you're using here. You're trying to read the situation, seeing, okay, is this person decent enough to let me off the hook this time around? Uh, Again, if you're entering a negotiation like that, understand you don't have a ton of leverage. So just try to appeal to the humanity of the situation. And so that's it for us. Uh, If you have other suggestions uh, for situations that you've negotiated through uh, or just want to chat with us about that, reach out at vadim at thementors.co or sergey at thementors.co. We would love to hear from you. If you enjoyed this episode or any of the episodes that you've heard from us, we really ask you to go out on iTunes and give us a quick five stars if you didn't enjoy it if you didn't enjoy it this isn't a negotiation this isn't a negotiation you gotta do it you gotta do it you gotta do it please do it please uh if you didn't enjoy the show go ahead and go ahead and skip that last part you don't have to go into itunes and rate it anything uh but if you did like it it would mean a lot to us so without further ado that's it actually there is no further (laughs) (laughs) and now the end of the the mentors Mentors. have a fantastic